1: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
2: There's a high fly ball from KMOX Sports. That's it, Deep to left field And it's on Big fly, Nolan Arenado. There's a moment for you. Driving jam time. The Philippines win this one. Come back, Pattern caught. Now, sports on a Sunday morning
3: on America's Sports Voice, KMOX.
4: Welcome back from the Stiefel Sports Studio. I'm Tom Ackerman. Sports on a Sunday morning on KMOX. Today is November 20th, 1120, KMOX Day. And on this day, we're going to look back at the career of one of our best. In fact, it was five years ago this month that we lost Bill Wilkerson at the age of 72. He passed away on November 2nd, 2017. Before we get to a very special guest joining us to talk about the career and life of Bill Wilkerson, let's all sit back and enjoy this trip through his football broadcasting career.
3: turn right, as he pumps it, not very well, the second hammer takes it at the 40, 45, at the 50, 45, 40, 35, 30, 25, 20, he's at the 10, 5, touchdown! Bomex drops, sets, launches it deep toward the end zone, The snap, drops, here comes pressure, lofts it deep toward the end zone! Touchdown, Dwight Green! Touchdown, Dwight Green! motion back to the left side. Lomax on the option to the left side, raises up, throws end zone, uh, Torn, touchdown, a Robert a in the back corner of the end zone, makes the catch. The second down play, they pitch it left to Wilder, he cuts across the 20 and... The Cardinals have it, Nico Noga to at right. the touchdown, Nico Noga! From the Tampa Bay 11, J.T. wide right, Lomax dropping, setting, looking, looping it toward the end zone, All touchdown! J.T. Right. Smith! Third and six from the Tampa Bay 16, Lomax drops, here comes the rush, slops it toward the end zone! Backs up, will return, from his 25, Crossed to 30, trying the right side, gets a lane, 35, he's at the 40, 45, 50, 45, 40, 35, 30, he's at the 20, he's at the 10, 5, touchdown, 5, Second and goal at the 1, is what the stick says, I thought it was 3rd and go. Motion left side, they give it to Abander, may he die, here. Yeah! Has been stopped. Why? Why is the clock stopped? Seven, six, five, four, three. He throws the ball into the ground and stops the clock. Missouri says the clock should have run out, and I agree. This is the final play of the game. Come on, Tigers. Fourth and goal. The snap. Johnson with the ball.
4: Bill Wilkerson was incensed on that particular play that five downs were run for Colorado to beat Missouri in that 1990 infamous game at Faroe Field, just showing once again his awareness and preparation in the moment. And joining us right now, who knows all about that as a broadcaster, one of the greatest to ever do it, and a dear friend of Bill Wilkerson is Hall of Famer Bob Costas. Bob, thanks for joining us this morning on KMOX.
2: Hi, Tom. It's KMOX Day, I guess, 1120.
4: Yes, it is. Uh, And welcome to the party. Let me ask you, when you hear those calls, and we just played three minutes' worth, and I have a few more uh, in my pocket, what do you think about?
2: Well, obviously, he was passionate. He and I did basketball together. Uh, He also took a turn on hockey and occasionally showed up on baseball broadcasts. But football was at the heart of his broadcasting career. He had played football at SIU, so he knew the game. Um, you can broadcast that way as long as you're well prepared and you know your stuff you can broadcast that way on a local or regional broadcast you can't do it that way on a national broadcast nor should you But Bill was allowed that passion as long as he knew his stuff and he was well-prepared, which he absolutely was, because 99% of his audience had the same rooting interest. So he embodied that rooting interest, including in his surprise and outrage when I guess it was Colorado, if I recall this correctly. They got five downs, right?
4: Yep, they did, and he was upset. He showed such great passion for some teams, quite honestly, although the Cardinals of the 1980s did knock on the door of the playoffs and had some thrills. But by and large, those were years that Mizzou struggled, that the Cardinals struggled. But every Saturday and Sunday seemed to be a destination for radio, which brings to mind also he's doing Saturdays and Sundays and then working Total Information AM in the morning. He was all over the place.
2: Well, that was kind of the ethos of KMOX under Bob Highland. You couldn't say, I'm too tired, or how could I possibly get back from Los Angeles on a red-eye and be at KMOX at 6 o'clock in the morning when Bob Hyland himself was coming in at 3 o'clock in the morning, and then he backed it up to 2 and sometimes 1, and he'd stay until 6 o'clock on a weekday, and then give himself a little leeway on Saturday and leave at noon and take Sunday off, if he was going to do that, how could you possibly say, oh, please, Mr. Hyland, I can't do the Mizzou game on Saturday and then do a network game someplace else on Sunday and then be back on Monday? Of course you didn't tell him that. That's right. (laughs) How How could you tell him that with a straight face? But the preparation for football especially college football, where the rosters are so large. Bill would know the Cardinals, the football Cardinals I'm talking about here. He would know them, so that made half of his preparation for a Sunday game a little bit less, just kind of brush up on it. But he had a new team to learn that played Mizzou on Saturday and a different NFL team playing the Cardinals on Sunday, and there was often travel involved, and yet he loved it so much. And if you love broadcasting – you have to love the preparation. You can't look at the preparation as, oh, boy, I've got to do this until I get to do what I really want to do. At some level, you have to enjoy the preparation. Coming across something and you say, that's a good note. Maybe I can work that in, or that's a good observation. Maybe I can turn to my analyst and ask that person about that. You have to enjoy that process. Otherwise, you won't be good on game day.
3: Snap back ball. Now it's a fake by Worley. Worley's going to run with it. Worley's out of the 15. First down, 10. Wander Worley, Touchdown! Roger Worley goes in from 18 yards out
4: on a fake field goal attempt. A fake field goal by Roger Worley and a touchdown called by Bill Wilkerson. Here's a little bit more. On the
3: 21 yard line of K State, another double tight end set. He might throw it out of this. He fakes, drop sets, looking, throwing upfield. It is caught! Oh, touchdown, Victor Bailey! And, an, and another. All right, working on the long count. Now drops straight back, looks, throws, shorthose, touchdown! George Shorthose from 12 yards
4: out. That one punched in by George Shorthose from 12 yards out. The first two, the whirly fake field goal, he recognized it, of course. And then you heard his second call. He said they might throw it out of this. And they did. I remember attending as a young man, a seminar at UMSL. You were in attendance there uh, talking to the kids and Bill Wilkerson. Something that stuck with me was he actually went through different formations with us and got us familiar with what football looked like. He was prepared and ready and as a former player knew the game, didn't Mm -hmm. he?
2: Yeah, he was uh, primarily a play-by-play man, but he's also part analyst, and I guess he filled the analyst role on occasion before he took uh, the play-by-play position. I'm disappointed that you weren't able to dig into the archives, though, and find some of those Spirits of St. Louis broadcasts, because Bill was my first broadcast partner. When I landed, talk about pulling the, the brass ring, when I landed at KMOX at 22, Bill was maybe in his late 20s, I guess, uh, and they paired me with him on the Spirits broadcast. I did the road games by myself. They didn't travel him, but we did the home games at the arena together, and we struck up an immediate friendship. And it has to be mentioned that while we take all this for granted now, which is a sign of progress and it's a darn good thing, Bill was a pioneer. He was the only significant African-American broadcaster at that time on KMOX. And he shared a certain groundbreaking resume with other St. Louisans like Don Johnson and Julius Hunter and Art Holiday. And so there was a responsibility there, uh, and he fulfilled that, the responsibility to do a great job so that others could follow him. And black people in the audience naturally had an investment in that. Uh, I'm sure that they appreciated, I know they appreciated Jack Buck and Dan Kelly and and Bob Starr and all the other great broadcasters who were there. But Bill meant something extra at that time, and he fulfilled that brilliantly. He also had a great sense of humor, and Jack Carney, who's one of the greats ever in the history of radio, Jack Carney, as older listeners will remember, would often pull in other people on the staff who weren't known as humorous, and he would cast them against type and bring out a part of their personality that the audience previously wasn't familiar with. And Bill was great in that role, too, uh, with Miss Blue or with me or Rex Davis, whoever it might be. Jack had a genius for uh, involving people in that way in his little radio bits, and Bill did a great job with that too. Theater
4: of the mind, no doubt, and it certainly did it at its best. How was Bill as a person? And I do want to get back to those spirits days in the mid-1970s when you came in in 74, 75, and in 76 you're doing the games uh, with Bill, and then he's just known uh, throughout his career and life as a kind person. Uh, How would you describe him?
2: Yes yes, he was a very good guy. He was good company. He had a sense of humor. Uh, he indulged me. You know, um, you take someone, a great broadcaster like Joe Buck. Joe grew up around it. By osmosis, he knew a lot about it before he ever sat behind a microphone and uttered his first words as a broadcaster. I had grown up hoping to be a broadcaster, But I didn't know all the ins and outs. I didn't necessarily know how to carry myself. Uh, And Bill's friendship meant a lot because he already uh, was established to some extent at KMOX, and he could help smooth a few things out for me, or he could point things out to me that I might not have been aware of, like this is rubbing somebody the wrong way, and why don't you try it this way. We were close in age, um, and he and I became not just broadcast partners. We became lifelong friends, and his wife Margie asked me to speak at his funeral, which I was honored to do. There was never any lengthy period of time that Bill and I were were not in touch.
4: And you did a wonderful job at that funeral, and uh, as we celebrated his life five years ago this month, Bob Costas is with us in those mid-1970s days, and by the way, those highlights are somewhere clung to a real talked in a box that I couldn't get my hands on fast enough. So I wish I, I, wish I had those here on the computer, uh, but I know they exist, but you're, you're sitting with him courtside uh, spirits, yeah. games, ABA. You're early in your career. The analyst means a lot to a play by a play man, doesn't it?
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And he and I clicked in that regard. There's a story I wish I could figure out how to deftly express Without taking KMOX off the air, and I really can't, but it happened on the second broadcast. The first broadcast was uh, a Friday night against the Memphis Sounds, and the Spirits led by 5 or by 7, with like a minute and a half to go, and somehow managed to blow the game. So now two nights later... Moses Malone as a rookie, Marvin Barnes was a rookie too that year. And to show you how good Barnes was, Barnes was the rookie of the year. Moses Malone, who won three NBA Most Valuable Player Awards and, of course, is in the Hall of Fame, did not win rookie of the year. Marvin Barnes did. That's a whole separate story, how good he was and how good he could have been. So now here's the second night, and the spirits are again ahead. They've got a comfortable lead, it seems, with two minutes or less to go. And Bob McKinnon is the coach, and he calls a timeout. And then I say, well, this game would appear to be well in hand, Bill, but Coach Bob McKinnon taking no chances, he doesn't want to see a repeat of Friday nights, and those who heard it and still can't believe it can fill in the blank, and you'll have to use your own imagination. But what I said in an Internet world would have blown the Internet up, (laughs) what I unknowingly said. And Bill looked at me. The engineer Tom Barton, who also worked with Jack Buck on uh, Cardinal Broadcast for many years, a great guy, great sense of humor, he's shocked. Bill looks at me, and Bill's eyes are as wide as saucers. And that was the one time I could remember him being flabbergasted. And then I could just see Bill's hand. He was making that kind of universal symbol. Uh, keep going, keep going, rotating your hand and your index finger around, like, keep going, get past it. Because what I said in transcript form was inadvertently obscene. And so after the broadcast is over... I'm convinced that it's my last broadcast, that it's two games and out. (laughs) And so Bill is trying to console me. And luckily, uh, Bob Hyland liked me, and he overlooked uh, a few early escapades until I got my footing.
4: He did. He brought you in uh, in the mid-1970s. He brought Bill in in 1969. That was actually when he first worked Uh at KMOX here in St. Louis. We're talking about Bill Wilkerson with Bob Costas. Total Information AM was a big part of his life as well. And we've mentioned this a couple of times, but getting up early in the morning, I'm co-hosting that now with Debbie Monterey, Megan Lynch, and and Carol Daniel. It is a fast-moving, early-morning coffee-drinking show that has a lot of different elements. And I bring this up because I do think that we see this in media today, but not as much where your favorite sportscasters are also very worldly- And I feel like Bill was that, that he had a thirst for knowledge and that he was more than a sports guy, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, absolutely. He proved that. Um, His friends can testify to that, but the audience knows that because he had so many different roles. Uh, There's one other quick story that illustrates my relationship with Bill. Like I said early on, you know, I might have— had some precocious ability, but I wasn't exactly the most mature 22-year-old. And I missed two planes from St. Louis to Memphis in a game about a month after the on-air blooper. Uh, And a thunderstorm hit, and the third plane was delayed, and I was actually not there when the game began. Um, And so Bill is back at the studio, and he's telling the audience... That there are technical difficulties until I finally show up sweating bullets, sit down with about four minutes into the first quarter and broadcast the game, the rest of the game. And again, I'm thinking this is my last broadcast because Bob Hyland is probably at his wits end. And again, Hyland gave me a reprieve. And when I got back to St. Louis, I said to Bill, you were telling the audience there were technical difficulties. There were no technical difficulties. He said, yes, there were, because technically you're an idiot.
4: <laughs> I love it. Oh my gosh, what a great time uh, to review the life, and you know certainly we miss him dearly. But what a great personality and talent uh, that KMOX displayed for many years in Bill Wilkerson and Bob. I it is my hope, and I know the hope of his family and friends that that legacy is preserved for years and years to come. So it really is my pleasure. Uh, to be able to open up the KMOX airwaves and talk about him in this way.
2: Yeah. Uh, He was not only good at what he did, he was a good person, and we miss him.
4: Very well said, and thank you for the time. It's great to talk to you. By the way, I'd be remiss the listeners would remind me that Steve Holly, our guest in our previous segment at the end of the 10 o'clock hour, wanted to make sure that we said thank you to you for opening our Guns and Hoses telecast once again this coming Wednesday night
2: on Fox 2. I hope it's a rousing success, and happy Thanksgiving, Tom.
4: Happy Thanksgiving, Bob. Thanks for joining us on KMOX. Be well.
2: Okay. Take care. Bye.
4: Bob Costas on KMOX's Sports on a Sunday morning. We're coming to you from the Stiefel Sports Studio. When we come back, a little housekeeping, check on a couple of scores, and then John Moselock, the Cardinals president of baseball operations, will be with us right here at 1130. On the home of the Cardinals, KMOX.
2: Now, the John Mazelok Conversation on KMOX. Sponsored by your Gateway Acura dealers, Munkadas St. Louis Acura, and Frank Lita Acura on America's Sports Voice, KMOX.
3: Swings and lifts a fly ball, right field, hit deep, that ball is gone, gone. A three-run homer for Paul Goldschmidt, 16-7
2: in the ninth inning here in Phoenix, Arizona.
4: What a player, Paul Goldschmidt and the St. Louis Cardinals celebrating this past week. The National League MVP award goes to Goldie. And joining us to talk about that and more is the man who brought Paul Goldschmidt to St. Louis, the president of baseball operations of the St. Louis Cardinals, John Moselock. Mo, always great to chat with you on these Sundays.
5: Good morning, Tommy. Yeah, very exciting week, um, as you as you highlighted uh you know, anytime you 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 participate with someone that wins the MVP, it's uh, you know really a culmination of just a incredible year. But I think like what it really meant to to our organization, to our team is is well, first off, you had Nolan finishing third, so you had two guys like you know in the top three, which is just you know it's rarefied air and super impressive. But I, I think this, just the type of impact Paul makes. Um, to our other players. And and so when you think back to this sort of really kind of historic year for the Cardinals in the sense of you had Yachty and, and Albert retiring and, and Albert doing the things he did to make those memories, but then to really see the, sort of the passing of the torch to, to that next generation of, of leaders for this organization and, and for our team and I think, you know, clearly we feel like we're in pretty good hands with with Goldie and Nolan.
4: A couple of things that struck me, what Goldschmidt was talking about once he received that award is that he was told long ago that no matter what happens, you can always do something to affect the outcome of the game. So if he doesn't have a great day at the plate, he can do that in the field. He can do that on the base paths and maybe something that gets overlooked because he's such a great fielder and hitter is his base running pretty much everything that he does he does with a purpose and there's a science behind it i think
5: well i think there's a strategy behind it yeah. and i think that that advice that that whoever shared that with him at a young age is is invaluable i think a lot of times in our game you go all for four at the plate and sometimes you take those at bats into the field sometimes uh uh you're having a, a great day in the field and, and you're still struggling at the plate or vice versa. But the game is, is really such an individualized game, even though we call it a team game. And when guys tend to do the little things, teams tend to do the big things. And and I think Pauly is exactly that now, obviously, you know, middle of the order impact hitter is always nice to have, but, to, to, when you talk about those subtleties that, that he brings to the table, it's, a, it's really amazing.
4: And the other thing was how Albert Pujols, he said, really showed him how to enjoy himself a little bit more. And I think it's just a natural thing when you're playing at this very, very high level at the highest level of competition in the world, Major League Baseball, uh, you can sometimes... Forget the fact that you are having a good time. It's hard to do sometimes when things aren't going well. But he did credit Albert uh, for maybe loosening him up a little bit as he watched Albert enjoy that last year.
5: I think we all learned something from Albert in this, in, in this last year. Um, I mean, as, as you know, you 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 covered the club back when when Albert was here prior to 2011, and you know, I think his personality and, and those types of things were, were a little different than they were today, and I think. You know, I think all of us can have some takeaway from what we got to witness over the last uh, three months of our season. And and to see him do it with joy, with a smile, and and really embrace coming to the ballpark every day without the the dread of having to live up to something or to be something you're not comfortable doing um, was quite refreshing, really.
4: Yeah, it was a beautiful honor last night at Stiefel Theater with Albert receiving the 2022 Stan Musial Lifetime Achievement Award. Just any opportunity you get to celebrate the great history of this franchise makes you happy to be around it. Uh, it, it just can never uh, be taken for granted. How special the history of this team is, Mo.
5: Well, we're fortunate. We have a we have amazing history, and I say it a lot when I publicly speak. And and you you, you look at this organization, and you know, yes, I've been here for I think I'm starting my 28th season, but that. The, the relevancy of what I'm saying is, is there's such a strong history in this city for this organization that dates back over 100 years. And, you know, that's just something that all of us get to inherit or, or really get to enjoy. And um, not every franchise can say that. And we're lucky we can. And
4: I think the standards are high, and I do feel like this organization embraces that and wants to live up to that expectation of being a contender every year and chasing after a world championship, including Goldie. I felt like he took it upon himself to say I had my best season, but I also don't like the way that ended. And I want to get back to, and I have turned the page, as to what I can do to make 23 better. He is uh, on a mission, isn't he?
5: Yeah, I think so. I think these guys all, you, you know, when you play in this in this league long enough, you ultimately want to to be playing late in October and to be the last one standing. And, you know, fortunately for us, we have a handful of players that that's what they want to achieve. And, you know, when you, when you have a goal like that, it's, it's very inspiring to to younger players. And you think back to some of those, those teams at one world series that we were a part of, of, of and, and 11, And you think back to to some of those rosters and how there were younger players that were getting to experience that. And I bet if you were to talk to some of them now, it would have been the last time they ever got to do that. And it just shows you how rare it is. But when you have great players like Goldie and Nolan, Adam Wainwright, that are driven to get back there, I I really think it it helps all the younger players in what they're trying to accomplish. I
4: feel like you have a really good mix right now, don't you, of – not only young veterans like the Brendan Donovans of the world and Dylan Carlson and Lars Newt Barr and et cetera, and the ones that you just mentioned, but you got some prospects coming. I mean, you cannot ignore this Jordan Walker-Mason win performance at the Arizona Fall League. My gosh.
5: Yeah, really impressive. Um, you know, I was taking a look at, at something recently, and and as as you may recall, like, you know, Paul DeYoung had a pretty good fall league in the sense of, of started to kind of put himself on on the prospect uh, radar, and especially playing short for the first time out there. But you look at like what uh, Mason Wind did, and you know, he outslugged them and, and and out hit him by you know, almost a hundred points, and and doing it at three or four years younger. So, yeah, I definitely think he opened up some eyes, and and clearly, I, I think we've talked about Jordan Walker a lot over this past year. And, um, yeah, he's not letting anybody down. I mean, I think expectations now just continue to, to, to rise because he's just such an impressive player. He hits the ball hard. You know, I think he's still evolving as a player, which is sort of exciting. But, yeah, I think his impact and what he can do for this organization is going to be something that uh, he'll be a household name at some point here in the near future. Certainly bears
4: watching, and certainly spring training appears to be a lot of fun from that standpoint just to see the competition raised another level and to see what those two do beyond. Also you've got some other prospects that are highly touted is the, in the off season, is catcher still this number one priority? I mean, it's been a long time since you had to look for a catcher. So I I would imagine that answer is yes.
5: The answer is yes. Yeah. It's been 20 years. It's not to say (laughs) I've been in the, the backup catching market over my career, but like, to actually go out and try to find a starting catchers. It's just, it's just odd, but you know, the good news is I think there's going to be some options for us and uh we're just trying to really sort of understand both the trade market and, and the free agent market. I think, uh, you know, last week out at the GM meetings, we, we got the ball rolling on that, and what that looks like. And so, you know, we'll just keep, uh, communicating, keep talking with, with teams and, and agents and, you know, ultimately, uh, Hopefully we can get this resolved and there's still some other things that we're interested in as well. So, you know, I do think over the next uh, three to four weeks, there'll there'll be some nice additions to this roster. At least we certainly hope so. And that's what we'll work towards.
4: We will certainly keep an eye on that. And then, you know, the last time we talked, we talked about augmenting the offense and maybe that would be accomplished at catcher. So we'll continue to watch that. And the other thing you brought up, I I recall is horsepower in the bullpen. Uh, Just to how do you feel right now about, the back end of your bullpen and for that matter, your rotation leading into that.
5: Yeah. Starting with the bullpen, I think, look, I think we're in a good spot. I I mean, obviously there's always some volatility in, in relievers, but when you look at, at the fact that you have Helsley, Gallegos and Hicks, you know, that's, that's horsepower. Now, you know, how do we augment that? How do we think through it? Obviously we're going to have some lefties that are going to try to compete for starting innings, but if they don't get that, then they'll they'll move to the bullpen. So, I think you know going into to 2023, we, we have a lot of question marks as far as you know how we're going to define roles. But good news is we have a lot of talent, we have a lot of options, and when you think about the rotation. You know, right now I feel like we have six you know, quality guys that, that could start, um, and even if you throw in somebody like a Palante or, or a Zach Thompson, you, the the depth is there. So I think we're going to have a lot of guys competing for innings when we get to, to to Jupiter, but, you know, in the end, I think we probably understand what the what our rotation looks like as we sit here today.
4: Just a couple more things for John Moselock. Uh, we've talked about Alex Reyes for so many years. Uh, one of the best pitching performances I've ever seen was a rehab at Double I was there at Hammonds Field when he struck out 13, gave up one hit in seven and two-thirds. It was just spectacular, and We saw those moments, some of the best stuff to ever come out of a hand of a Cardinals pitcher, I would say. I think there's been a lot of reflection over this last several days since you made the decision to non-tenor him, Mo.
5: Yeah, it was not an easy decision, Uh, but unfortunately when you're you're dealing with medical and you're dealing with uh, uh, basically a non-negotiable contract, it becomes much more difficult just to say yes to, and you know... um, Sure, we agonized over it. Uh, we we know he there's a chance he's gonna be a very talented player because we know he has that type of stuff. But, you know, this game is really about the ability to, to go pole to pole. It's it's an incredible skill if you can do it. And um, you know, you think back to, to a lot of talented players that have come up through our system and through the league, but They just don't get it done at the major league level. and You know, we certainly wish Alex the best. We haven't closed the door on it. Um, We're going to definitely leave that ajar. And, uh, you know, we'll see how things shake out over the next few weeks.
4: And someone else who was drafted right around that time, 2013, Oscar Mercado, back with the club. Tell us about uh, that transaction among your minor league signings. You brought back Oscar.
5: Yeah, so he was someone we identified in the six-year free agent market that gives us some protection, especially at – all three outfield positions. Obviously, uh, um, when we traded him, that was not an easy decision. But it was someone that we felt we had the depth at the time. And and now, really, what adding uh, Oscar allowed us to do was then uh, create a roster spot with um, non-tendering Deluzio. So we felt like they both sort of represented similar skill sets. And I you know, hate to use the word like redundant, but we felt like you know they're very similar and. And so that's that's how that move ended up happening. But glad Oscar's back. I think he's going to have a great opportunity with the Cardinals.
4: Also, Chris Stratton got a one-year deal with the club just a couple of days ago. John Mosaylock, it's going to be a busy offseason, but I know that uh, that's par for the course. As you said, this is your 28th season. You have a new staff. You have Matt Holiday. You have a, a roster that is going to change over. As you tell us every year, the roster that you see is going to be different, but that also applies to April versus October. Things are ever-changing in this business, aren't they?
5: They really are. You know, we talk about fluidity of rosters, mm-hmm. but um, it, it's, it's probably one of the more unique things about the game. Um, you know, we definitely understand who our first baseman and who our third baseman are, but there's always some, a lot of decisions that happen in between. So, yeah, I hope our fan base stays tuned. I know there's a lot of expectations this offseason. We're certainly going to uh, work to try to improve this club in, in many different ways.
4: Best to you. Have a great Thanksgiving. And thank you very much for the time, as always, on KMOX.
5: You bet. Have a good Thanksgiving.
4: You too. There's the president of baseball operations, John Mosaloc, on KMOX. It's an NFL Sunday. We'll dig into it and some other news and notes before we go at noon. From the Stiefel Sports Studio, it's sports on a Sunday morning.
5: At a key block. By the left
2: guard, Tom Ackerman, and right here, let's go downstairs to Bonnie.
0: Marv, if you remember that uh, big run Robert Holcomb had on the first drive, one of the guys responsible on help busting him loose was Tom Ackerman.
2: Tom Ackerman up front, and this is a unit that has played very well. A good night for Eddie George. 21 carries, 74 yards. The left guard, Tom Ackerman, with the block that, that set him free. It's a first down. Call
3: from
0: Mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
4: All right, here we go. I always pick two games for you on these Sundays, and I don't pick the noon games. We're getting a little close to noon, so we do the later games that everybody can see here in the St. Louis area on KMOV. It'll be Dallas at Minnesota, and I've got the night game for you on KSDK, Kansas City at the Chargers, but of course, that game is right here on KMOX. We want you to listen to it on the radio as well. We had two games last week and unfortunately my streak comes to an end. I missed them both. I had Dallas minus three and a half and they lost at Green Bay in overtime 31-28 and I had the night game 49ers minus eight. Uh, Actually it was seven and a half when I took it and they won by six. 22-16, 22-16, so I just missed it. I knew it, too. I agonized over that. I said, ah, that half point. As it turns out, it was a point and a half that burned me. Uh, they won by six. So sorry about that if you took those. Now, uh, let me look at these two coming up. You have Dallas at Minnesota. This is the game of the day, without a doubt. Uh, the Vikings, magic, I cannot deny. Uh, they, I, there are many, many reasons to like the Dallas Cowboys right now. They're 6-3. and three. They're playing great. Um, surprisingly, they are favored in this game, and I think that is ridiculous. They're a two and a half point favorite at Minnesota. Minnesota's eight and one. Now, you can say whatever you want about that eight and one, whether they had things go their way, they've had good luck. They're eight and one, period. End of story. And they've had just magical things happening. And I think it's a matter of time before they have everything clicking for four quarters. I'm taking the Vikings plus two and a half at home against the Cowboys, and I feel great about it. Uh, the Sunday night game here on KMOX, the Chiefs are minus five at the Chargers. I love the Chiefs in this game. I love the Chiefs in this game. I think they'll have a ton of fans out there and that will help on the periphery. But I think the Chiefs are going to start showing why they're the number one offense in the NFL. They're averaging 30 a game. I like the Chargers team. They're just kind of up and down. They 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 win, they lose, they take steps back. They're kind of iffy here and there. Uh, they just came off that loss at San Francisco, and I'm down on them. So I'm going with the Chiefs plus, uh, minus the points. I'm giving the Chargers five. So there you go. We'll take a break, come back, wrap the show, give you a couple of updates as well. As we get ready for Billiken basketball this afternoon, 230 is the tip-off for them against Providence. But when we come back, we'll take a look at that slew soccer game. They're playing at Indiana right now.
1: What's the score and what's happening? We'll tell you
3: With touchdown, Kansas City. Welcome back to sports on a Sunday morning on America's
4: Sports Boys, King M O X. Welcome back to the show. Tom Ackerman with you, and as promised, we are keeping an eye on St. Louis University and Indiana University Soccer, and they have just completed the first half. They are walking off the field. This tremendous matchup between the two teams with the most NCAA tournament appearances in history, St. Louis University and Indiana University, are in a 0-0 tie at the half. Oh, baby. So the number 13 overall seed, Indiana, and, yes, that is my alma mater. Against St. Louis University, yes, that is my broadcast partner. They are in a 0-0 deadlock going into the second half. Very interesting. So we'll continue to watch that. If you want to watch it uh, the best way, I'm watching it right now on ESPN+. Plus. You have to be a subscriber to do that. But I'm sitting here, see this, Drew? I'm watching it on my phone. I've got the uh, the 13. It's a nice screen. I can sit here and watch a great matchup between St. Louis and Indiana. Now, later, uh, you are going to get Slew and Providence College Basketball here on KMOX. That's a 230 tip. Slew, I'll be very interested to see how they come back. Uh, it was not pretty yesterday by any stretch. Uh, they just did not play well. And Maryland played great. And it's actually a really good Maryland team. Slew was favored in that game, believe it or not. Favored in that game by, I believe, three uh, at Uh, Uncasville, Connecticut. Uncasville, Connecticut is the site of the Basketball Hall of Fame tip-off. And they got smoked yesterday by Maryland 95-67. I gotta think defense is going to be a focus today for Travis Ford's team. And if it isn't, well, they got some work to do. Uh, But it's a a team that is very capable of getting this win against Providence and then feeling good about themselves moving into the next portion of their schedule. But it will not be easy. I mean, SLU is going to be challenged today by a good Providence team. Uh, SLU has a tough schedule ahead of it uh, beyond this. And Illinois, by the way, plays just before that at 2, and they look great. Illinois looks absolutely fantastic. They beat UCLA 79-70. They locked that thing down. They were up in the first half. And UCLA went on an absolute tear and led by nine at the half, 37-28. What does Illinois do? They outscore them in the second half, 51-33. Brad Underwood has a machine going there. You know how many players they lost, including the, the giant Kofi Coburn? And now they're faster, I think, without Coburn. I mean, Coburn's a great player. But Terrence Shannon had 29 points, 10 rebounds, and a block, And this Illinois team is really something to be reckoned with. They're going to play Virginia today, and our hearts certainly are with the entire Virginia community. Um, uh, The loss of those football players that were shot tragically just several days ago. Virginia against Illinois in Las Vegas. That one tips it, two on ESPN. Boy, we got a lot of stuff to watch and listen to today. Looking forward to all of that. From the Stiefel Sports Studio, Tom Ackerman, sports on a Sunday morning. Thank you, John Moselock. Thank you, Bob Costas. Thank you, Steve Holly. Thank you, Carolyn Kendall. Thank you, Drew Young, our producer. I'm Tom
0: Ackerman on KMOX. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.